Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From Justice, in conversation with Edwina Grosvenor. If you're a woman who's experienced trauma and you are then pinned down, often by a number of male stars. And pinned down, usually face down to the ground, am I correct? Often face down, it can be face down or face up. Um, and both of those positions can be really traumatic. This week, Edwina's talking to Catherine Sachs-Jones, Chief Executive of the Campaign Group Agenda and Co-Chair of the Government's Mental Health Task Force. I'm the Chief Executive of Agenda, the Alliance for Women and Girls at Risk. We campaign for better services and systems for women experiencing multiple forms of disadvantage. So often that means poverty, violence and abuse, poor mental health, problems with addiction, homelessness, maybe involvement with the criminal justice system. So quite a vulnerable group of women experiencing multiple issues in their lives for whom the current setup and current systems and services don't really work. So we've got about 80 voluntary sector members across the country and across different sectors. So ranging from some big national charities like Mind, for example, through to organisations working in their local area directly to support this group of women and girls. What's the purpose of that exactly? I mean, I can sort of imagine to a certain extent, but is it so that you can be influencing policy more and legislation? It's a few things, really. I think the first is really understanding what's happening with women across the country, that kind of direct reach of having our member organisations who work to support women who understand the issues that they're facing gives us real power in terms of being able to kind of make a case for what's not working. Not just working in silos, I guess. Exactly. Presuming you've got all the answers when actually in the northeast there's different trends. Exactly. So there's a kind of reach and knowledge and understanding what's really going on. Then the point you make about silos actually our members work across different sectors so some might be in the criminal justice sector some might be working with women who are homeless or women who have mental health problems often we're talking about the same group of women actually so part of the power of the alliance is bringing together those different organizations Mm. to have different conversations with people they might not normally have conversations yeah so it's multiple issues that range from mental health restraint addiction sexual abuse domestic violence but would you say that the thread that goes through that is the fact that we're talking about women and girls we're talking about females and we're talking about trauma yes the kind of consistent theme 
in women's lives, whether they end up in prison or homeless or maybe moving between different situations. They have nearly all, without fail, had quite extensive histories of violence and abuse. And that often starts in childhood. So we see a lot of women who have experienced childhood sexual abuse, exploitation, would have seen domestic abuse in the household and then gone on as adult women to also be victims of sexual assaults, of domestic violence. So they're left really traumatised and find themselves in systems which just don't respond to that at all, really. And is that because most of the systems they end up in are more male-orientated? We know that the criminal justice system is predominantly male just due to the numbers, Um, but maybe hospitals, mental health hospitals. I think there's a a huge gender issue. Another example would be the kind of homelessness system, homeless hostels, day centres, addiction services. You find about three-quarters men in those services. So if you're a woman going into that service... At best, it's not really set up to cater for your needs because you're in a minority. And at worst, it can be quite an unsafe, threatening, um, intimidating environment to be in, especially if you're feeling particularly vulnerable. Mm. The particular needs of women, whether that's around trauma, around children, just kind of other things relating to being a woman get completely overlooked. And so they're not very effective services in terms of helping women. So if you were to sort of describe the absolute sort of holy grail of what you're trying to achieve and where you want to be. What does success look like? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things, really. One is women have had specific experiences, often at the hands of men. So they will need specialist women's services which understand their particular needs, which are safe environments, which are empowering and kind of help them on the the road back to recovery. So a big piece of what we're focused on is is making sure that those specialist services are there and that they're properly funded um, and available to women. We know there's very few women's services at the moment, some areas of the country, none at all. Those that are there are really underfunded and struggle to meet the demand. And there is a need for better funding models which support services which can work with all of a woman's needs. So not defining her by the fact she might have offended or has a mental health problem or has an addiction problem, but understanding that those issues are all interrelated yeah. and that she needs support with all of them and the trauma that underpins them to kind of to help recover and move on with her life but also we recognize that women are going to end up in a whole range of systems they use the nhs they might end up in the justice system Uh, they need housing support so it's also about how those mainstream non-specialist services can respond to women's needs and how they understand gender how they understand the particular issues that women face and what we find at the moment is that often they they don't yeah, really. I was fascinated to learn that. And this was through some um, NHS psychiatrists that I was having a conversation with. Generally speaking, of course, not 100%, but generally speaking, our mental health services and our addiction services do not address trauma. Mm. Yeah. And my chin nearly hit the floor. And I have repeated this to people ever since I heard that fact. And some people just don't believe me. And some people, of course, who work in those areas know. Because, of course, it begs the question, what on earth do you target then? Yeah, I was similarly (laughs) shocked. I, because we sit across different sectors it's in it's in, there's some interesting comparisons and i have to say the mental health world 
I've been particularly surprised at how little the kind of idea of trauma is an important part of what they do mm. and completely share your sentiments <laughs> about, well, why not? What are you? What are you <laughs> focusing just, on? It doesn't make sense. Because we know how closely linked people's, but particularly women's mental health is to trauma. So of all women who have a mental health problem, over half have experienced some form of violence and abuse, domestic or sexual or childhood and when you're talking about women with the most severe um, and enduring mental health conditions, women ending up in mental health hospitals, the proportions get even higher. So if you don't address the trauma that they faced, you know, what, what are you doing? You're not getting to the root of problems. You're just at best putting a sticking plaster on things, sometimes making things worse. So, for example, we know the practice of restraint is really widespread. That is basically where... A woman is behaving in a certain way that a service doesn't like, maybe not taking her medicine. It can be something as trivial as that, um, maybe getting upset or agitated. And the response is to physically restrain her. Now, for anyone, that can be quite a frightening and difficult experience. If you're a woman who's experienced trauma and you are then pinned down, often by a number of male staff. And pinned down, usually face down to the ground, am I correct? Often face down. It can be face down or face up. Um, and both of those positions can be really traumatic. And if you've suffered rape exactly. and sexual abuse your exactly. whole life, I can imagine having a man then leaping on you. Absolutely. And it's often done by men that are restraining because of the kind of physicality of it. And so that is hugely re-traumatising for you. Well, Hugely re-traumatising, but also haven't people died? People have died, yeah. Um, it's dangerous. It's physically dangerous, the practice of I think of it's restraint. 32 people in the last five years. Yeah, so there's a real physical risk to it. And there's a huge kind of psychological and emotional risk. And when you talk to women about their behaviour being controlled in that way and what it feels like, uh, they talk about how how traumatic, how scary, how frightening it can be and we know as well it can be dangerous so I've been into a few mental health hospitals in my time and I guess you know people listening might say well and people who have worked in mental health hospitals they can be quite dangerous places like a, a, a lot of institutions and maybe someone would say well actually her behavior was so crazy and up the wall that actually there's no choice but to get the situation under control and sometimes that is to so what would what would you what yeah. would be your comeback to the so I think what else can we do I think there's a lot in there first the environment of a mental health hospital actually I think we need to radically rethink how we yeah. support people I'm a fairly positive person and I <laughs> come out of those places feeling they're pretty, quite sad. pretty grim they're pretty institutional they're kind of the opposite of everything you think a trauma-informed environment should be um, so it's hard to see how they can be therapeutic places for for women to get better so I think there's a kind of fundamental issue about what mental health support looks like and the extent to which trauma is thought about in that which is not nearly enough, basically. Mm. So so there's that general point. But even within the system we've got at the moment, there's huge divergence in how much restraint is used. So some hospitals hardly use it at all, and some use it, you know, with half of half of their patients. Right. So it's clearly possible to take different approaches. And there are lots of techniques you can use to de-escalate situations, to avoid times when you know there's going to be difficulties like around visiting hours or around someone taking their medication for example mm. and I've spoken to women who have had completely different experiences in different hospitals so um, one woman I was talking to a few weeks ago 
spoke about how one hospital she was in, she was restrained. Um, she had men watching over her uh, kind of in bed at night and she, she'd had a history of, of sexual violence and so found that really oh, Goodness, really can you difficult. imagine the victim of sexual violence absolutely. to have a man then staring at you, which we call constant watch? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really, you know, it's hugely traumatic and she Quite said traumatic even if you hadn't been yeah who wants a man a standing of... over their bed all night watching them oh, yeah. i mean that's scary but if yeah. you have also had that history of trauma at the hands of men then you know that's kind of doubly doubly uh, terrifying and traumatic yeah and, and you're she... not going to come out calmer no. more likely to behave in a sane manner no exactly but she also was in a different hospital where she wasn't restrained at all and where restraint was hardly used. And she said, you know, being treated like that, like a human being rather than an animal, of course she felt better. She behaved better. Everyone behaved better. And it was a calmer environment and one where you could start to think about getting well. You've just galloped back from a meeting with the minister who holds the brief for mental health. That's right. Um, so so talk to me a bit about the sort of policy work that you're doing in this area and what, what are you trying to achieve? I mean, it's so broad. It is, yeah. I co-chair the Women's Mental Health Task Force, which brings together experts from across the kind of health world to look at how we can better provide services to women. And I think the kind of things coming out of that are exactly the issues that we're discussing now, which are around the need for services to be gender-informed, to take women's particular needs into account and to be trauma- And to take men's particular needs exactly into account. Exactly right, well, right, exactly right. This In the same about- way that if it was a child, you wouldn't treat a child like an old person, don't treat a man like a woman and don't treat exactly, a woman like a man. Exactly, exactly. Gender-neutral services don't really work for anyone. They don't mean men's needs, they don't mean women's needs. It's not about giving one or the other preferential treatment. It's just about recognising difference and thinking about what support we might therefore need to give people. So a big thing coming out of the task force is the need for more gender-informed services and really thinking about what does that look like um, and how can we drive those changes. And you won't be surprised to hear that a huge thing coming out is around trauma. And it's encouraging to see the amount of enthusiasm that has been across the board from police, judiciary, NHS staff, you name it, about trauma. It's like it's suddenly caught on and a, there's been a bit of a light bulb moment where people are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's usually a reason for why people are behaving in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and we need to understand those reasons if we are going to actually have services which are effective. Yes, I definitely think there is a change, a positive change. People get the idea of trauma more now than they did. Yeah, but I guess it's changing the talking the talk to walking the walk. Exactly, isn't it? exactly. I think we've got an opportunity, and there's a really exciting moment. But it's how we how we turn that into actual change, and it's such a difficult context that this conversation is happening in when we're seeing you know cuts to services the nhs is really struggling the prison service is really struggling across the board you know specialist services are closing down so it's great this conversation's happening around trauma it's happening at a bit of a, an unfortunate time in terms of that context for services but you could say it's also happening at a really a, a, a good time because when when you know when things are, are difficult it's an opportunity to look at how we rethink and exactly do and actually maybe if we weren't struggling so much across the board we wouldn't be having a conversation about new yeah. ways of yeah, doing things exactly the thing about trauma-informed services is you know it's not just a nice thing to do or the right thing to do although that's true but it's also a more effective way exactly of supporting people because 
otherwise we're just kind of putting a sticking plaster on people's problems and never really getting to the root of things and yeah. sometimes making things worse by re-traumatising. a lot of money. Huge amount of money. And not Huge making anyone better. Yeah. From Justice, you're listening to In Conversation with Edwina Grosvenor. This week, Edwina speaks to Catherine Sachs-Jones, Chief Executive of the Campaign Group Agenda and Co-Chair of the Government's Mental Health Task Force. Do you do any work in schools? Because, of course, the level of self-harm in girls in particular yeah. is very high. Yeah, sure. So um, there's been a huge rise in, in mental health. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Health problems amongst women, particularly. So, women are, are much more likely than men to have a mental health problem now. And that's largely driven by an increase amongst younger women, so 16 to 24 year olds. You still see more suicide amongst men. Men are much more likely to take their own lives through suicide, but the rate amongst women is increasing. And I think there's some really worrying trends there we need to understand more about like what's driving those those yeah rises. i was gonna ask is there anything yeah. in particular that you can attribute you know everyone says social media and yeah uh, i think um, a lot of the debate a lot of the time people talk about just you know social media and bullying and exam pressure and i think a big driver is the sexual violence young women are experiencing the increased sexualization of young girls and kind of expectations on them to do certain things behave in certain ways when you look at some of the um, increases in mental health problems, 
they're things you might expect to see there like anxiety and depression but there's also one in seven young women have PTSD from from generally in women is linked to sexual violence right so there is something there that we don't really talk about that much. I think it's kind of easier to talk about social media yeah. or you know yeah. than to to really understand what is what is some of the trauma that these young women are experiencing. So surely that comes down to you know there's always a debate you know should this be done in schools or should it be parents? And I often think well surely it should be both. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you don't always have parents that are going to be able to talk to their children about these things. And often parents aren't the best people to talk to their children about these things. So w- what's your opinion on where this education should happen? Because clearly it needs to happen. Clearly it's not happening well enough or consistently enough to the standard that it needs yeah. to be. So, you know, I have three children myself. They're small, but I am already worrying about trying to get on the front foot. So before I hit all this stuff that I kind of yeah can try and navigate it and work out what it is we're meant to be doing as parents it and I think it's difficult it's not straightforward giving your kids the tools and the resilience to be able to deal with the world as it is Mm. um is a really difficult thing and of course part of that is the job of parents but for a variety of reasons not all parents are in the position to be able to give that education to their children um so I think schools have to have a role in teaching kids but also a lot of children by the time we get around to talking about these issues with them will already have been through significant trauma and will already have seen domestic violence in the household experienced violence and abuse themselves so I think we need to think not just about educating children so they know you know what to watch out for but also how we support those children that are already having you know experiencing very very difficult things and leading really difficult lives mm. and there isn't enough support at an early enough stage to help kids deal with the the traumatic lives that many are having and do you think it's just do you think it's because actually as a nation we're still quite across the board emotionally unintelligent and it's you know that british stiff upper lip sort of get on you know don't talk about your problems i mean there's a a deeply cultural thing or i definitely think there's a really cultural element to it there's a kind of weird disjunct because we've seen quite a lot in recent years about like child sexual abuse child sexual exploitation you know there have been the scandals around celebrities there have been the grooming gangs on one level there's a lot more kind of understanding that these Mm. things happen But I think a lot of the focus is kind of outrage at the perpetrators, rightly so. But in a way, that's the kind of easier bit than dealing with the kind of damage done to young girls in particular. So when we're then talking about girls who face those kind of abuse, who often will go on to have early pregnancies, to, you know, take drugs and alcohol as a way of kind of blocking out the traumatic memories, public sympathy kind of stops there. And we somehow can't make the link between the trauma those girls have experienced and the kind of difficult teenagers, young adults they've become. And then they almost get punished for expressing their behaviours in an entirely appropriate way, given the trauma that they've suffered. Yeah, exactly. Which is quite exactly right. sort of sick. We're quite it? judgmental, actually, particularly of women and girls who behave in certain ways that don't kind of conform to mm. what a girl or woman should be. 
they're seen as difficult, they're seen as, you know, manipulative. Even worse labels still, we kind of still attach to them. Yeah, I've always been quite fascinated in um, the sort of behaviours of girls who've been sexually abused all their lives um, tend to, and certainly from a very young age, tend to grow up sort of quite promiscuous. Yeah, yeah. And they sort of then flirt and maybe seeking out this sort of um, attention from men that's wholly inappropriate. That's when we need to be going... What do we think has happened to this yeah, girl? Exactly. We need to get to the bottom of this. And then instead of punishing her, we need to understand the why. Yeah. And we don't. We don't ask about the why. We no, just like it's is, is it? Exactly. It's much easier to kind of quickly judge those girls. Um but if you're yeah, if you're a girl who's had those early sexual abuse experiences that's all you've ever known that's how you've got attention and affection and so it's a bit like if your parents are violent towards you as a child and the only love you've ever known is violent love it'll be violent love that you seek out when you're older and there just seems to be a a lack of sort of understanding or empathy around that really and then it's like you need to break that pattern of of behavior and somehow try and teach people to sort of love in a healthy way because of course there's good love and bad love and healthy love and unhealthy love but all of this stuff is quite emotional and tricky and complex yeah. and it's difficult and I think people can get their head around being outraged at sexual abuse and sexual assault but they can't then engage with the impact and the trauma that has on the victim yeah and through your work because so much of Again, a generalisation, but the violence against women and girls, um, I presume, is usually perpetrated against them by men. Yeah. So is there a lot of work that you do on the male side of things? Because it's one thing, I suppose, looking after the women and girls, but actually if the work isn't being done on the male side to get boys and men to understand their dysfunctional behaviour, then... I think that definitely needs to happen, and, and that has to happen with individual men and boys... Um, to be challenged on their behaviour, but it needs to happen at a societal level as well. I think there have been kind of big steps forward in public understanding around violence against women, but there's still quite a way to go. And the kind of understanding of just how widespread violence against women and girls is and understanding the kind of reasons and drivers behind that, which are around women's position in society more generally. They are around... um, kind of men feeling entitled in some way to control women, to women's bodies. And those kind of deeper drivers, I think, there's still a long way to go in, in public mm. understanding and acceptance of those. How helpful do you or not do you think the sort of hashtag Me Too movement was? And um, also I want you to comment on um, when we were seeing all those stories coming out about politicians and whether it was hands on knees and this, that and the other. How useful were those two sort of for the debate? I think Me Too has been an important moment in terms of highlighting kind of how widespread those experiences are. It's not just, you know, some monsters over there who do these kind of things. It's really across society. Most women, probably all women, will have had some experience, you know, from kind of street harassment through to to very significant assaults. So I think it's been helpful in highlighting that I mean I got a bit annoyed with the whole like oh but I will never be able to ask a woman out again or is putting my hand on someone's knee acceptable because I think actually you know it's it's not rocket science like there's a thing called consent 
it's pretty obvious if your intentions are um, and your advances are wanted or unwanted. Um, and I think most men should be able to kind of reflect on that and see things from a women's perspective. Yeah, and if, and I, if they can't, then that <laughs> is sort of disturbing. I remember I was listening to a radio phone in about this very subject, and a man came on who's got three boys and said, This is ridiculous. You know, my poor boys are terrified now. I don't know how to talk to them about this. And, you know, and I thought, that's really sad. Yeah. Is it difficult really to talk to your boys about what is acceptable and what isn't? I you know, I, of course, I, I also get that boys and men have to be careful. You know, you see a lot of these things with the footballers and girls kind of going out and wanting to bag a footballer. But I mean, that's where the lines get really blurred and people are in a room together and they're drunk and no one else is in the room. So it's very difficult to say sort of what happened or not. So there has to be a certain amount of responsibility for someone drinking, whether they're, whether they're men or women. And drink never really helps anything in that situation. But... I don't think it's that difficult. I don't think I'm going to struggle to say to my son, listen, there's a way of treating a woman and there's a way of not treating a woman well. I don't think I'm going to struggle with that. Yeah, and I think it just comes down to treating a woman as a person, as a human being, not as a like piece of meat. So, of course, you can still ask women out. Of course, you know, you can still have romantic things with women. It's just about how you do that. And if what you're doing as a man is making a woman feel uncomfortable and a bit of empathy should be able to tell you that, mm. then something's going wrong and that's not okay. And the hand on the knee thing is quite interesting because I thought about this a lot. You know, and I was trying to explain this to someone I got into a sort of heated debate with. I was like, look, if it's me and it's someone who I'm on a date with, who I fancy maybe, the fact that he put his hand on my knee, I'd be like, great, you know, this is okay. If I was a survivor of sexual abuse and some man next to me on the tube decided to put his hand, quite frankly, anywhere near me, it's enough to give me an anxiety attack and I might go home and self-harm. Yeah. Yeah. So really, again, it's this sort of one-dimensional debate that goes on about these things and the inability for some people to put themselves in the shoes of a trauma survivor. Yes. And just inability to put themselves in the, sh in the shoes of someone else because... Whether or not you've been the victim of sexual assault, if some man on the train, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, it's happened to me, but no. puts his hand on your leg, of course that is going to make you... That's not appropriate. No, that's not comfortable. That's completely different situation. And what was he the, expecting you to do? Well, Turn around and be like, great. I mean... <laughs> I think <laughs> it's about often... is does about, it go from that? It's often where it comes from, though, because I think when someone does something like that, they know it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. If they, if you're a younger woman, you, you're probably not going to, you might not do anything because you might freeze. That's a really common reaction. And it's about kind of exercising power and control over you, really. Um, and I think when things are coming from that place, they're never good. And mm. it's not rocket science to, to understand the difference between that yeah. and being on a date with someone. Yeah. And to be able to explain that to your son yeah. should not be too much of yeah, a challenge. Exactly. So I guess what we're all interested in sort of working in this sector, whether it's mental health, trying to sort of combat the use of restraint, addiction, sexual abuse, domestic violence. Do you feel optimistic and confident that we are taking steps, even if they're baby steps in the right direction? Do you feel confident in our sort of government that at least there's a appears to be an understanding about these things? I mean, be honest, because I think it's really important. I think yes and no. On the one hand, 
we're having some really important conversations now. There is more understanding of trauma is being talked about more at a government and a policy level, and that's really welcome. On the other hand, you know, the reality of if you are a woman who is experiencing these kind of issues, it's harder than ever, really, to get support. Um, we're seeing services being cut back and the services that are there aren't providing the kind of help that women need. So there's a bit of a disjunct, I think, between some of the conversations we're having about what needs to happen, which are really positive, and the reality of what help is there for people. So I think there's some massive, massive challenges, but I think you've got to be optimistic about these things as well. And there are people out there who really want to do things differently. There is a need to do things differently because public services are facing the kind of cuts that they are and so they need to work in a more efficient and effective way. And so hopefully, you know, we can make this a really positive opportunity to do things differently and recognise that if we want to deliver services to women more effectively, we have to recognise the huge impact of trauma on their lives and we have to work in trauma-informed ways. Otherwise, we're not really going to be helping women. We're going to be wasting money on services which don't work. Well, Catherine, it's always a pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much for coming along and um, look forward to seeing you soon. Brilliant. Thanks, Edwina. Edwina was in conversation with Catherine Sachs-Jones, Chief Executive of the Campaign Group Agenda and Co-Chair of the Government's Mental Health Task Force. Next time on Justice. I'll be on the Coronation Street set as Soap gets to grips with how women who've suffered trauma are treated outside and inside prison. I had to speak to partners of prisoners and people who were in prison and what I found was as soon as a, a person leaves prison that there, there is no sort of help or support. There's something really lacking in that time when you leave and, and get yourself set up and, and trying to have another go at life. So I, I really understand why people can reoffend. I'm behind the scenes to hear from the storyliners and to meet Sally Carmen, who plays wild card of the cobbles, Abby Franklin. That's next time on the Justice Podcast. The Justice Podcast is brought to you in association with One Small Thing, for more information, go to onesmallthing.org.uk. Justice is an MIM production. For more information, go to madeinmanchester.tv. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.